16 faucets in my house, um, but there's only one source. Only one source of water, but multiple faucets. Whatever it is that you need tonight, the Lord is the source. God is the source. He's the one that makes it possible for you to produce wealth. Now, that scripture is speaking, speaking specifically about finances, but whatever you need. If you need more energy, if you need health in your relationships, if you need financial help, um, if you need physical help, the Lord is the source. And don't discount any faucet. God, if one faucet turns off, he's the source. He can just make it come out of another faucet. You just don't know where God is going to provide from, but he is your source. So y'all think about that this evening. God bless you. Good evening, Grace Church. Great to see you all tonight. And uh, as always, thank you so very much for being here. And uh, I'm still rejoicing over the service Sunday and uh, an amazing time of prayer meeting last night. And uh, certainly thankful for the way God moves and works in our hearts and uh, ministers to our needs. And I'm so very thankful for that. Uh, I do have a very quick announcement that I'd like to, it's not really an announcement, I just would like to give you some information. Uh, I want to applaud Tanya Coley tonight and uh, our youth group along with Brother Dave and Sister Farah. Uh, we had a record-breaking year uh, this year in Move the Mission, uh, our youth group and Sister Tanya raised over $19,000 for Move the Mission. Isn't that amazing? It is wonderful. $19,044. And uh, we're very excited about that. And um, Grace Church is going to add a little bit more to that. And uh, so our total giving this year to Move the Mission will be $22,500. And we're excited about that. Let's give Sister Tanya some appreciation. Thank the Lord. Great job. Wonderful job. And actually someone, actually it was two or three people last year uh, when Move the Mission was over, I don't think they totally understood that <clears throat> the concession stand out in the lobby was for Move the Mission. That's what some people have called it, Daniel, is a, a concession stand. Ask, so what happened to all the stuff in the lobby? Why did y'all quit serving all that out in the lobby? Like, well, first of all, some people need a break, uh, what have you, and uh, it, it will return, Lord willing. But um, I guess it's a year-round thing that, that could could happen if, if the Lord so leads. But um, uh, until that happens, we'll leave it like it is, right? But thank you, Tanya, for doing such an amazing job. And um, everybody that participated, everybody that gave, uh, our young people, they're stellar anyway. They did an, an incredible job this year. And thank you all so very much. And there's going to be a lot of missionaries uh, around the world that will be afforded great opportunities to do things for the kingdom that they wouldn't be able to do had it not been for your hard work. As a matter of fact, this past uh, Monday night, um, Sister Murph and I, Brother Dave, Sister Farah, uh, we couldn't book the missionary 
brother and sister uh, Daniel Anderson, uh, not Anderson, Patterson. Um, we couldn't book them for a service. They were, their schedule was already booked up, but so we met them just for a meal. And I'm thankful to our Louisiana district because that counts the same as hosting a missionary for a service. And it was just so encouraging, inspiring to sit down with this couple. Uh, their family has grown by two uh, since the last time they were here. If you remember the Pattersons to Romania as their field of labor. Uh, Brother Patterson essentially grew up in Romania. His mom and dad went there when he was four years old. And uh, now he's there carrying on with his mom and dad in labor, building the kingdom in Romania. And they just had such a great report of their churches growing and uh, God doing amazing things. So thank you to Move the Mission, to Grace Church, and to everyone that helped that and to move that forward. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, I have a presentation I want to make tonight that's... <clears throat> maybe a little bit different off the, the path of what the direction we've been going in. And um, I've had this, this presentation now for a long, long time and just, just felt like the Spirit of the Lord nudged me with it uh, to present it to you tonight. And it will take me a few minutes to get to my point. And uh, so you may not understand the text and the title right at first, but I will ask your kindness in being patient until I get to the point I want to make. Uh, I want to read tonight from Genesis uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, a very familiar reading, and I would hope that all of you will be familiar with it, and I may get a little uh, what I call treachy, preach, teach tonight. We'll let the Lord have his way. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and he shall rule over thee, implying his brother. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight. The title of my message, and this is its not a play on words in particularly, but I want to tell you, talk to you tonight that we are all able. That's not misspelled. Uh, what you see on the screen is not misspelled. We are all able as in Abel, the brother of Cain. In this story, we have two brothers. Each brother was born after Adam and Eve had left the Garden of Eden, after God told them 
that the ground would be cursed because of the sin they had committed. And Adam and Eve were driven into the land east of Eden to struggle to survive. In the Garden of Eden, they had everything. They had everything that anybody could want. But outside of the Garden of Eden, they had nothing. The only thing they left with was with a covering of animal skins that God covered them with, the Bible said. Other than that, they had nothing. It's interesting to me that in this vast ocean of despair, they find hope. Eve is expecting a baby. It's interesting to me, and it's not my Bible study for tonight, but I'll, I'll say this in passing, that I would have thought if there was any place a couple could have been the most productive would have been in the Garden of Eden. It's interesting to me that they're cast out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. That's where they become the most productive. And I would think it would be just the reverse of that. It's interesting to me that the first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve, to creation in general, if you will, was to be fruitful and multiply. But again, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve did not fulfill that commandment. It wasn't until they fell into sin that they came productive. It's interesting to me. Another Bible study perhaps for another time. But during their time in the Garden, they had never had a child. But after they left, it happened. And I believe, just as it happens today, it was a joyous occasion for them, probably even more so when you consider that Adam and Eve were the first two people on this planet. They had no parents. They had no family. They had nobody preceding them that they could look back on as a standard, as some kind of a, a, a bar, if you will, as far as family goes. And I'm sure that they felt especially after the horrible thing that had happened to them being cast out of the garden. Here now she's expecting a child, the first woman to ever have a baby. Uh, she has been given that dubious honor. And I'm sure it was a very joyous occasion for them. But I want you to notice tonight that they named this little boy Cain. The word Cain means acquisition in Hebrew. And that's why it says in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. It was an acquisition they felt. Adam and Eve felt that they had their first success in life. Out from under and away from, outside of the protection of the Garden of Eden. The land may be cursed, but it seems like they felt like that the curse, and Eve knew the curse on her, Adam knew the curse on him. But God did not take away their ability to have children of their own. And I'm sure they were quite amazed that after the disaster of the Garden of Eden, now they have this little creation of their own. And they gave him the name Acquisition or Wealth. If he were alive today, we would probably call Cain the golden child. I could go down a little bit of humor with that, but I'll pass the, 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 the opportunity. 
I do believe that Adam and Eve poured all of their hopes, all of their expectations into Cain. That was the first creation, if you will, between the two at their hands, etc. And I'm sure they were very proud and they were very thankful for their firstborn child. And I, again, I believe they poured a lot of their, if not all of their hopes and expectations into Cain. He was wonderful to behold and perhaps they said, like a lot of parents today would say, look what we have done. Look what we have created. Look what we have made. But this attitude perhaps gave Cain an inflated view of himself. And I will say again in passing, after the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, where God promised that the woman would be the conduit through which the Messiah would come, he took the woman and placed an invaluable honor on her, saying that I'm the, 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 the part that failed first, I'm going to use her first to bring the Messiah. And I believe the devil was well aware of that. And I believe that he perhaps thought that Cain was the Messiah. And I believe he attacked Cain so very hard. Outside of that, I believe that because of Adam and Eve pouring so much into him, that perhaps Cain grew up thinking he was a little more than what he actually was. Perhaps to Cain and or to Adam and Eve, it seemed like everything he does is stupendous. God cursed the ground because of Adam, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. It's almost like he set out to prove that I could still reap from the ground even though God cursed it. My mom and daddy taught me that I have that ability. I can do whatever I want. I can achieve whatever I want to achieve. So not even cursed ground is barren under the authority, if you will, of the golden child, Cain. Cain expected everything he did to be greeted with wonderment and adoration. He wanted all his efforts to be considered the best that he that had ever been because in a very real sense, they were. When Cain and his brother Abel made offerings to God, Cain's offering wasn't accepted. And this caused a breach between him and God, as I just read to you. God obviously talked back and forth with him. And no doubt when the realization came to Cain that his offering wasn't accepted, I'm sure he pondered, how can this be? Because I'm the golden child. I'm the one that amazes. I'm the one that everyone is... Well, my mom and dad and even brothers and sisters now at this point is just so impressed with how could it be that I could bring God something and he not be as impressed as everyone else has been of the things that I have done. The thought that his offering was inferior was inconceivable. To have God outright reject it was just unconscionable. To have the spirit of Cain is to consider your own desires greater than others. People with this spirit are more concerned about what they can get from people instead of what they can do for people. In Jude 11, the Bible said, Jude said, Woe unto them. I want you to notice this scripture because I'm going to go down this path for a few minutes. 
Woe unto them, Jude said, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. We know who Cain is. I just described him to you. But Balaam is the one who took money to pronounce a curse over the Israelites when they were in the desert after leaving Egypt. And even though the Bible says that he did not issue a curse, the idea that someone in ministry would be in it just for the money is the spirit of Cain. Jude also mentions Korah. If you remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in the Old Testament, they stood up against Moses in, in number 16. And God judged Korah and his whole family by having the earth literally swallow them up, the Bible said. This spirit of Cain that got a hold of Balaam, that got a hold of Korah, desires to take the anointing of God for selfish desires rather than allowing God to choose uh, his servants as he pleases. God wants people who are servants to others. It's a not about me attitude. It's about God's people attitude that God looks for. And everybody say amen. I want to say very curtly here tonight and very sincerely, anyone who is looking to be in a pulpit for money, for the adoration or for the power is not fit to be in the ministry. Ministers are servants. Ministers are servants. They are shepherds. A good shepherd needs to be concerned most with the needs of the sheep, not himself. A good shepherd, we understand that. A good parent needs to be concerned with the needs of their children. A minister needs to be concerned with what he can do for the church, not what the church can do for him. The Chinese have a saying, and I agree with it, wealth rarely survives three generations. I want you to notice I've mentioned Cain, Balaam, and Korah tonight. The Chinese say that wealth rarely survives three generations, and here's the principle behind that. The idea is that someone poor is motivated to make a better life for his or her family. They'll scrimp, they'll save, they'll work hard to get some measure of wealth, and I'm sure all of us know somebody like that that's done that, or perhaps we are one of those people. That family's son watches his father, mother work hard, and he takes the family fortune and builds upon it and makes the wealth even greater because he's seen the work and the labor that has been put into building that wealth. The third generation, however, grows up never knowing poverty. The third generation feels entitled to the wealth and so becomes spoiled. The third generation concentrates on spending the wealth rather than adding to it. I will share with you this illustration. Conrad Hilton was born in New Mexico Territory in 1887 to very strict Catholic parents. He purchased his first hotel in 1919 
built several others over the next few years. And during the Great Depression, he lost most of his money, but bounced back to even greater wealth. In 1944, he founded the Conrad Hilton Foundation to ease human suffering worldwide based on the experience he had from the Great Depression. His son, Baron Hilton, pledged to give 97%, pledged to give 97%, at least $2.3 billion of his personal fortune to the foundation that his father started. Paris Hilton, the great-granddaughter of Conrad Hilton, is known for being an attractive, rich socialite, and she is famous in large part for being famous. The point is, is when someone grows up with wealth, they become accustomed to it. As humans, we make the mistake of believing that something that existed all of our lives will always exist. And we stop cherishing it and nurturing it and start neglecting it instead. I read to you tonight the story of three men. Not generational men, not one, not a father, son, and a grandson. I'll come to an illustration similar to that in just a moment. But they did not take what was so valuable and what was so treasured and pass it on to their kids. They they became and they embraced the spirit of Cain that says I'm entitled and I can have whatever I want and I, I deserve whatever comes to me and people ought to bless me and people ought to cater to me and what have you. I want to stop here tonight and say in passing, and again, this isn't my Bible study, but I want to say especially to our young people, there's been a lot of hard work through the years that has brought this church to where it is today. And what you experience sitting here on the two front rows and you rejoice and you run the aisles and shout and dance has been on the back of your parents and for most of you has been on the back of your grandparents. I want to teach you tonight that one of the greatest contributions you can make to the kingdom of God is to develop a very deep, committed appreciation for what's been provided, what's been given, what's been stood for, what's been fought for, and what you enjoy and what you appreciate every time you walk through the doors of this church. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. When the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, the Bible said that The people gathered around that upper room, asked, what is this? And you all know the story. Peter preached the first apostolic message to them. And he concluded his message, and they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? We take the scripture, don't have as much value, I believe, as it should. But he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. I don't want to ever forget what Jesus did for us to provide for us who we are, where we sit, what we enjoy, the things that he's done in our life. It took a horrible sacrifice at Calvary for us to to get what we've gotten. And I don't feel entitled to it. It's only the mercy and grace of God that we sat here tonight in the presence of the Lord. And I want God to know I'm thankful for him. I appreciate him. I rejoice in him tonight. I celebrate him tonight. Thank you, God, for saving our soul. 
Notice tonight in Judges 18, verse 30, the Bible said, And the children of Dan set up the graven image. The children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh. I want to point out something to you that's been weighing on me for a long time and just felt like tonight was a good night to present it. The Bible went on to say in verse 30 that he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. I want to point something out to you tonight who, this, who these people are. And it illustrates the point I'm making tonight. The word Manasseh is written in Hebrew as, and I believe you can see it on the screen, the word Manasseh is written in Hebrew as M-N-S-H. have no clue how to pronounce that. But in Hebrew, that's how the word Manasseh is written. The letter N is written as a superscript above the other letters. And many scholars believe that this was done because the word is actually Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. Now the Hebrew spelling of Moses is M-S-H. doesn't have the N in it. The writers gave us a clue to say that this is the grandson of Moses. And to preserve his good name, they pronounce it Manasseh instead. In three generations... The family went from being the strongest spokesman for God, in my opinion, that's ever walked on this planet, to a priest for a graven image in three generations. Now I want you to notice tonight the three generations of David. When Solomon died, his son Jeroboam or rather Rehoboam took over the kingdom. In 1 Kings chapter 12, the Bible said that Rehoboam spake to the people. He said in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 14, and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, talking about Solomon, and I will add to your yoke. My father Solomon also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people. For the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shalonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king saying, What portion here, well, what portion we uh, have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed under their tents. It's an interesting to me that the man who had the greatest burden, passion, and vision to build the house of God for the first time was King David. He was not allowed to build it as we know, so it passed on to Solomon. 
Solomon took a lot of wealth from his father that he got an inheritance combined with his own wealth and built the Temple of Solomon that we now know is probably one of the most beautiful structures that's ever been built. The value of it is untold millions and millions of dollars. It's amazing to me that here comes the son of Solomon and turns completely away from God, turns his back completely on God, and now he has gone in a completely different direction, having no respect or regard for what his grandfather and his father had established in Israel. After David spent years uniting the northern and southern kingdom, here comes Solomon's son and destroys all that work in a matter of just a few days. Why? He was greedy. He didn't see himself as a servant of the people, but instead he saw the people as his servants. The people were a source of tax revenue and nothing more. He felt entitled to be, to be king. He felt entitled to the power of being king. He didn't value the effort that it took to establish that throne. As I mentioned before, the word Cain means acquisition or greed. The spirit of Cain is a, a spirit of entitlement. The Bible said in Genesis 4 and 5, But unto Cain and to his offering... God had not respect. Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Cain made an arrogant offering to God and expected that God would consider it wonderful just as Adam and Eve had always done. He figured that any old offering was good enough, but God felt otherwise. Cain was interested in what he was doing and what he was going to get from God, but not interested in what he could give back to God. So now coming to my point, as ministers we constantly fight against our flesh in this regard. And here's my attitude tonight, and I want it to be the attitude of Grace Church. We're in pursuit of a move of God. We're in pursuit of an outpouring of His Spirit. We had an awesome prayer meeting last night and a lot of people's names were called. A lot of people were prayed for last night. But I want our attitude to be right about it, and I believe it is. The Bible said in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here and pray, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives, and as thy soul lives, I will not leave thee. So that they, and they both went to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it, and hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as my soul lives, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. There's something on the inside of me that is, that is very passionate and very reverent. I want our church to grow. I want to see revival. I want to see a move of God. But I want to see it for the right reason. I don't want to get arrogant about it. I don't want to get cocky about it. I don't want to get a chip on my shoulder about it. 
But I want bottom line for God to know that if your spirit goes that way, we're going that way. If your spirit goes that way, we're going that way. God, wherever you want to lead this church, it's a direction that I want to go. And it's a direction that this church is wanting to go. I want to submit to you tonight, we've come too far. And we've worked too hard. And there's too much available to us. There's too much of an open door. There's too much opportunity tonight to squander it away because of a feeling of entitlement. I want to say to our young people again, I want to encourage you to walk in the door Sunday morning with an attitude of gratitude and say, I thank God that I'm here. I thank God for my church. I thank God for my pastors. I thank God for your word. I thank God for your spirit. Is anybody hearing me tonight? I want us to follow after God because we're all able tonight. We're all able. I want to say tonight, and I'm not blind to it. I have fans in this room. I know that some of you will come up to me, and there's people that do it virtually every service. And tell me how much you like and appreciate what I have to say. I'll be honest and will admit to you that my flesh likes it. But there's another part of me that doesn't. I want you to follow me as I follow him. And if there's any glory, give it to him. I want to encourage you tonight and to understand that God's a jealous God. And anyone or anything that comes between you and him is not going to make it. They're not going to fare well. And I'm certain that every other minister particularly in this church, feels the same way as I do here. So let me talk to you for just my remaining time about the spirit of Abel. It's interesting to me that two people produced two boys, came from the same mom and dad, and one went completely into sin, into rebellion, God gave him opportunity after opportunity to repent, get his heart right. God, he didn't do it. But then they had another son that just couldn't get enough of God. He couldn't worship hard enough, long enough, loud enough. He couldn't give enough. He brought to God his very best. The Bible said he brought the firstlings of his flock. He took that, that animal, that sheep, whatever it was, he took the one that was not just the most beautiful and the most perfect, but the one that was most meaningful to him. And that's what he gave to God. So while Cain made an offering to God to get something from God, Abel made an offering per what God wanted. And because he came with that attitude, God blessed him all the more. Yes, he was murdered. And I'm going to come to that in just a moment. But someone with a spirit of Abel is a person you want to be your best friend, you do. Your greatest partner of faith. Someone with the spirit of Abel is thinking about what you want, what you need, even though you may feel that you don't even deserve anything along that line. The people with the spirit of Abel, they just want to minister to God. They want to minister to the people of God. They want to help around the church in any way they can. They want to help people outside the church any way they can. They're always open-hearted and open-minded as to how we can give more, how we can do more, and they do it because God has been so good to them. 
We have some Abels in this church, and I wish I could call names. I'm not going to, but there's been people that's not only ministered to Sister Murph and I unsolicited, didn't ask. Pastor, I see you have a need, and here we want to take care of it, and they have. But there are scores of people sitting on these chairs tonight because I know it because you tell me that so-and-so came to my house the other night and did this and that. So-and-so came to my house the other night and they blessed me with something. We went out to eat with so-and-so and they blessed me with something. And it just goes on and on and on. And these are the kind of people that's so beneficial to have in your life when you can find an able who is able to minister the presence of God to you. When you're sick in the hospital at 3 a.m., a lot of your own family wouldn't come to see you at that time, but someone with a spirit of Abel will. Someone with a spirit of Abel thinks about you before they think about themselves. We've had more people in this church, men and women, that finds out people have a need and they bring them food. They'll go clean their house. They'll go mow their grass. They'll do whatever they can to help them out. And I thank God for the spirit of Abel that runs rampant in this church. But I want to encourage us tonight. Now is not the time to change that. Now is not the time to be weary in well-doing. For the Bible said you'll reap if you faint not. We must keep on because we're all able tonight. The word Abel, the word Abel in Hebrew means mist or vapor. It also means temporary or transient. When Adam and Eve gave their first son the name the golden child, they named their second one nobody. Essentially what they did, naming them Cain and Abel. We named one the golden child, but their second son wasn't given that profound of a name as a matter of fact it kindly means you're just going to be temporary how prophetic they were they had no idea that the golden child would murder the younger to Adam and Eve concerning Abel it's don't even bother learning his name because it really isn't important yet it was the unimportant one Abel which God accepted it was Abel who cared for the sheep. It was Abel whose sacrifice was acceptable. It was Abel who was killed by Cain. The Bible said that Cain rose up against him. The spirit of Cain despises the spirit of Abel. But the spirit of Abel never has the capacity to despise the spirit of Cain. He always wants to help. He always wants to help. But watch this. We're all able. In James 4.14, the Bible said, Whereas ye know not, what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The word vapor is the same as the name Abel. James is saying, look, we're all Abel. We're all going to appear on the scene for a short period and then disappear. Abel is alive in the Bible for a grand total of seven verses but it's interesting to me how many times this man's name is mentioned how many times he's been an object and an example and an illustration of worship how many times has Abel he's only been mentioned in seven verses 
but how many times has he been used as an example of sacrifice? Every preacher, every evangelist, every teacher you've ever seen is, is there, there's, there's other people. Think about all the people that could be in the Bible that's not. And it's interesting that God takes this one seemingly insignificant, unimportant man, gives him a place very early on in the history of mankind and say, I'm going to build him into an everlasting example. I want to submit to you tonight, if Lot's wife was an eternal representation and monument to what you should not do, Abel is an everlasting monument as to what you should do. But just like Abel, we all fight against the spirit of Cain, the spirit of greed and lust and ego and so on, would do, would like to destroy anything that God might find acceptable in our flesh battles these things. The Bible said in Genesis 3, 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. The ground is cursed because of the sin of Adam. But for Cain, the Bible said, God cursed the ground because of Adam. But in Genesis 4 and verse 10, And he said, God said to Cain, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood is crying unto me from the ground. I cursed it. You conquered it. But I'm still showing you, Cain, that you still cannot control what the earth can absorb. You cannot control everything that is sown into the soil. And now God said, You are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thine hand. So while the ground is cursed because of Adam... The ground that curses it now becomes the ground that curses Cain. Cain, the tiller of the ground, can't even till the ground anymore. Cain is forced to be a wanderer. He's no longer even a farmer. The ground itself has cursed him. Cain not only destroyed Abel, but he also destroyed himself. That's the spirit of Cain. So I want to plead with Grace Church tonight on this Wednesday night. As I believe tonight with all of my heart, we are facing an incredible revival. I believe we have great church growth ahead of us. I want to appeal to Grace Church tonight to embrace the spirit of Abel. And that is to serve and to give in any capacity that you can. Don't hold back. I didn't ask Riley. But she came to me last night after prayer, told me an amazing story. It's amazing because of how she explained it and how she presented it. She said she was in a service recently where she felt in her heart she needed to go pray for somebody. And she did. And this person made it public that her coming to pray for him meant everything to him. Not serving God is still not serving God, but made a point to say, She came and prayed for me and administered to me. Riley said, I did that, but it is so out of my comfort zone. And that's what makes the story of such value. I encouraged her that some of the times, most of the time, that you're the greatest blessing to other people is when you're outside 
of your comfort zone. And I know tonight there's a lot of reservation and a lot of people here at Grace Church, and you've had your share of experiences before of stepping out on the limb, stepping out. I'm going to step out. I'm going to go way out on the limb. That's where the fruit is and all that. And it seems like sometimes it backfires. But I want to encourage everybody here tonight to embrace that attitude again. We prayed for a lot of people last night. I didn't count. I didn't go through. But I know that people wrote names on little pieces of paper, and it went from that step all the way across to this step. And a lot of most of those pieces of paper had more than one name. I don't know how many people were prayed for. But now we must be willing to take the next step. I want you to stand with me tonight as I bring this to a conclusion. The next step, the next step is for all of the names that you wrote down, all of the names that you brought up here. When you have an opportunity, when you are around them, do everything you have in you to manifest unto them the spirit of Abel and not Cain. To be to them a servant. To be to them whatever God will afford you the opportunity to be. To help them, to be kind to them, to minister to them, to pray for them. To help them out with things. To go outside of your comfort zone, whatever it is. And say, God, whatever it takes, I'm able tonight. I'll be enabled. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I have to do. I'm going to give whatever I have to give. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But God, I want to minister to people. I want to minister to people outside of my comfort zone. I want to minister to people. I asked you last night to take the name of a person. I picked up a bunch of pieces of paper last night and prayed for them. And only, there was only a few that I even knew who the person was. But I held that prayer request up with confidence and said, God, you know who this person is. You know who this person is. And I'm committed to do everything I can to facilitate a move of God, not only in our church, but through my life, through my physical life, to help, to be a blessing, to do whatever I can to minister to people around me. I'm asking you to do the same. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. I'd like for us to take a moment tonight, and I just, I'm going to ask you to pray one more time as those of you that were here last night understand the spirit of that prayer meeting. But I want to ask us to pray tonight. We've prayed for others. We did that last night. But I would like to be a little selfish tonight, if you don't mind. And let's pray for us tonight that God would make us whatever it takes. God, make us into whatever we need to be to minister to these people that need you so desperately. Can we pray right now like that? God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us tonight to be open-hearted, to be open-minded you give us a spirit of not just giving money. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about giving time to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to go out of our way, to be willing to go out of our comfort zone, to minister to somebody that needs you, that, that needs your presence in their life, that needs a manifestation of God, that just needs for somebody to be kind. I pray, God, that you would use this church, use this church, oh God, as a source of hope, a source of refuge, a place where people can come and be restored. And we're not just going to leave it up to you, God, to do that, but we want to be servants in your hands. We want to be people that you can count on, people that you can be confident with, that if I send somebody to that church, somebody's going to minister to them, somebody will pray with them, somebody will help them, somebody will bless them in any way that they can. I pray, God, to use this church mightily. Yes, we've given monies to go overseas. But now I pray, God, that we can use our own resources, our physical resources. We can use our mind 
We can use our speech. We can use our heart to reach people, to touch the lives of people. Why? Because we're able tonight. We bring you our best. We give you our best. You're our priority. And I pray, God, that you bless this church tonight. Lead us into a great harvest. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. I appreciate all of you being here, our guests tonight. We're so glad you're here. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight, and we'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name.